All right, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, you know, this evening that you've given us this opportunity to be together, you know, with our brothers and sisters and to uh, sit at your feet, to learn from you, to draw close to you, and to just see what you have to say to us tonight. And I do believe that you have, you know, something special every time we get into your word. It doesn't matter uh, if there's a lot of people or a few people, your word doesn't change. And when we open it, you speak to us through it. So Lord, I praise you for that. And I ask that you'd, you'd bless our time here. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> I guess it is technically this morning that I got the, the call from Sam to come fill in. It was a little bit after midnight. And uh, so I woke up and I sent him a message back and I said, yeah, sure. And then I realized that I was still quite sick and I was thinking, hey, maybe I shouldn't have said yes, but I already had. So at that point, I just started to pray. And um, it, it seemed uh, like every single time I did, I began to, to come back to this to this reminder that this is the last time, and I think I think I'm right when I say this. This is the last time that Genesis meets together, right of 2011. And and uh, with that realization, I thought that you don't really need to hear uh, more of my words. What we maybe need is is more of our prayers. And, you know, I, I want to keep the message short. I, I don't feel physically able <laughs> to speak for a very lengthy amount of time, but I also just don't feel spiritually inclined to. And I think that, that the thing that we should do is prepare ourselves uh, and prepare uh, this, what Sam would call a community, uh, what maybe the Bible would call a body, uh, what maybe we as Americans would call a church to prepare us for the coming year and what God wants to do in and through our church in the coming year. You know, he started something very special here. And in Philippians 1 6, we know that the work that God starts, he's going to carry it through to completion. So we could expect great things from God as we move into our next year. And I believe that there is something very special in store for us here. Um, so the short message that I wanted to share and, you know, just, just tell me if I'm going too long, you'd say, Michael, we're sick of you. We want to pray now. And then we'll start the praying, uh, is in two places. First Kings chapter 17. So first Kings 17, you can open up there, put a finger there. And also hold on to your spot in James 5, verse 17. <clears throat> and we're going to discuss Elijah. And the question that you're going to ask yourself about Elijah is, why was Elijah so mightily used of God? Because no one denies that. You know, every world religion holds Elijah in the highest regard. The Hindus believe that Elijah was an incarnation of God, that he was uh, an earthly manifestation of God in our presence. They say that about Elijah. 
the Buddhists believe that Elijah was an enlightened man. You know, so he was one of these guys like Siddhartha Gautama, the, the, you know, the founder of Buddhism. He was one of these guys that it was, was just enlightened upon earth. He became a great teacher of men towards reaching this enlightenment. You know, the Muslims believe that he was one of the greatest prophets. The Jews think that he is the greatest prophet, and they thought that Jesus was the returning Elijah as prophesied in Malachi 4 5. So that's heavy stuff, and that's high regard for this historical man. But before we consider the man, it's, it's usually helpful to consider his times. You know, like we did when we were going through the book of Judges. If you can gain the context of the man, you can understand what he came into and the world that he preached to and the world that he, he worked in, uh, I think, just much better. And, and his time was exceedingly dark. You know, and... In 1 Kings chapter 17, we read there in the context that Ahad had become the king over Israel, and he took as his wife Jezebel. And I'm sure you've all heard about Jezebel. She's a woman of a very ill report. You know, she, she doesn't have a great reputation in scripture. And they, as, as the, the king and queen of Israel, introduced the nation to the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth, just these gross sexual idols, and they erected these pagan temples. And all of this, we learn at the latter end of chapter 16, made God very mad. And into this dark time, God sent his servant and he sent Elijah. And we read about him in chapter 17 and verse one. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So you can imagine this, Elijah, just regular Elijah, and forget what you know about Elijah because that's not in this verse. It doesn't say Elijah the prophet. It doesn't say Elijah the great spiritual leader. It just says Elijah uh, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Now, who of you can tell me where Tishbe and Gilead is? Right? None of you can, because no one can. And the commentators argue about this because there's three possible places, but nobody knows for sure. An unknown man from an obscure place walks into the palace of the king and queen of Israel. And he says, there's not going to be any rain for a few years until I say so. And then he waltzes out. And you can imagine walking into the White House and coming right up to Obama and saying, hey, there's not going to be any rain. I'll see you later. And then you leave. And what do you think would happen in that room after you left? Yeah, he'd say, who's that guy? (laughs) And, And then maybe someone would chime in and say, he's a nobody. So who cares about him? We don't need to listen to him. I mean, but, but James records for us very concisely the rest of the story. In James 5, beginning in verse 17, Elijah, James 5, 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. An amazing miracle. Elijah walks in and says, no rain until my word. Three and a half years go by, and there's not a drop in Israel. 
So there's this immense drought, and many of you know the story, and famine sweeps across the nation until the people of Israel finally fall on their knees and cry out, God is the Lord. And they reject and they kill 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah calls for the rain that will refresh the nation of Israel. And you read the story, and you come to the obvious conclusion that Elijah was a mighty man of God. And then you're brought back to the question that we began with, which is simply, why was he so mightily used of God? And I think a lot of it is wrapped up in Elijah's name. Elijah's name, if you know this, Elijah, his name means, my God is the Lord. That was his name, and it would become his testimony. Yeah, but I, I believe that God used this man so mightily because his drive in life, his goal at his core, all he wanted was for people to know that his God was the Lord. And after three and a half years, and after the slaughter of the false prophets, when he kneeled down to pray that God would send the rain, his prayer was simply, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know you. Answer me so that they'll know you. So that they'll know that you are the Lord. That you are God. He didn't pray, God, answer me so that I don't look like a fool up here. I think that becomes our prayer a lot in ministry. It becomes my prayer a lot, certainly as a minister. Answer me, God, so I don't look like an idiot. It wasn't answer me, God, so that, so, so that I can say something insightful. Answer me, God, so that I can play something, you know, musically beautiful. It wasn't answer me, God, so that, that this work can even be done. It was just answer me so that you will get the glory. So that these people will know you. And what do they need to know about you? And the conclusion of his prayer was simply this. Answer me so that they will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning hearts back again. I think that God will use any man or any woman who simply shares this testimony because it's not about them out to make a name for themselves and trying to make themselves known, trying to make themselves important. It's only that the world would see their God and know that he is the Lord. So in the darkest time in Israel's history, God sent Elijah and he's a spiritual giant and we read about these men, and, and I read about these men, and, and I forget the most important thing about these men. And it's the little detail that's tucked away into verse 17, where he says, Elijah was a man just like us. You know, whenever I read the Bible, it's so easy to read about these guys like Elijah and Moses, and you read about Elisha and all the things that he did. And it's so easy to relegate them to the category in your brain that's titled mythology. Here are these amazing men that did these otherworldly things. 
these things that we don't see in our time, but they somehow did in their time. And they're categorically different from us. I think Elijah encourages me more than just about any man in scripture because we're told directly in scripture, this guy is just like you. He's just like you. He did amazing, monumental things, but he was a normal guy. He was a natural guy that served a supernatural God. You know, uh, when I was down at Bible college, and I've, I've talked about this book before, I'm sure. Um, but when I was down at Bible college, Britt Merrick uh, one time came and spoke, and he told all of us that we needed to buy this book called Living with the Giants. <clears throat> and this book uh, is written by Warren Wearsby, and it is a good book. And, and he told us that uh, it's just filled with great Christian biographies. You know, you got pastors and their missionaries and their evangelists. And, and, and I thought, you know, he's up there and he's like, Hey, if you're a Bible college student, if you plan on going into ministry, you need to read this book. And, and I thought the purpose of it, you're reading this book and these great men that did these great things, you're supposed to be encouraged and read it and just go, wow, I could do that stuff too, you know, because these guys did it. But I don't think that was the intention of it. Yeah. I read in that book about Charles Spurgeon. Right, and and he's the prince of preachers, supposed to be the greatest preachers ever lived. I read about D.L. Moody, he's the greatest evangelist in American history. You know, and and I read in that book about Jonathan Huss, you know, the Bohemian reformer who uh, was trying to push for reformation before Martin Luther. About Ulrich Zwingli, the guy who came up with the right Protestant theology, and. And I came to one conclusion about all these guys is that not a single one of them lived up to the title of the book. None of them were giants. They were all regular guys that doubted their calling that were discouraged by their shortcomings. You know, it talked about how a Spurgeon struggled with depression in the book. It talked about how D.L. Moody was a terrible speaker. And every single one of them had every reason at their disposal to say, God can do the impossible, but he can't do it through me. And Elijah flies in the face of that. And so did their testimony. Because... Elijah was a regular guy, just like you and me. And God does the impossible through regular people, just like you and me. He's a man from an obscure, unknown place, just like Upland. Right? I took my Xbox to be repaired in Etiwanda. And the guy asked me where I found out about him, and I said, on Craigslist. And he said, oh, great, so you're local. Where do you live? And I said, in Upland. And he said, where is Upland? I said, it's 10 minutes away on the freeway. Upland is an obscure, unknown place. <laughs> uh, he didn't have a title. It wasn't Elijah the prophet, was it? But he had a testimony. The Lord is my God. And I guess the point of all this is that it doesn't matter who you are. 
or where you're from. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. A finite man serving an infinite God. And with that, there is no end to what can be accomplished. But, and that's the purpose of this night, and that's why I'm talking about this in the first place. It all begins and ends in prayer. See, Elijah was a man just like us, but if you continue in verse 17, he prayed. He was a man just like us, but he prayed. He prayed earnestly. And then in verse 18, after the work, again, he prayed. It was the bookends of his life. And a finite man, the best thing he can do, the first thing he should do, the last thing he should do, is desperately and earnestly cling to an infinite God. Now, it's easy to to look uh, at ourselves, and I do it all the time. And that, that's why I think I talk about it all the time when I preach. You know, they say that about preachers. You always know the preacher's uh, shortcomings and weaknesses and insecurities by what they talk about most from the pulpit. And I think I always come back to this because I always do this. Uh, it's easy to look at ourselves and say, I can't do it. Who am I? And, and, and why am I significant? And why am I important? I'm nothing. I have no right and I, and I say this so often, especially in Genesis, I have no right to speak to you people. Because I look out and I see a multitude of faces that are so much more mature and godly than me. So many people that I respect and admire and so greatly look up to. And who am I to say something to you? And I say, I'm nothing and God chimes in and says, you're right. You're right. But Elijah wasn't anything either. And look what I did through that guy. Paul would agree. Paul said, in me, in my flesh, no good thing dwells. Paul said, oh, wretched man and I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul said, I don't bring anything to the table. You know, Jesus looked out and he recognized this fact in all of us. And he said, you know, with man, it's impossible. And then we turn around and we see ourselves through the eyes of our Savior, through the eyes of our loving Redeemer. And you hear the conclusion of Jesus' statement where he say, but with God, all things are possible. There is nothing impossible. Elijah was a man just like us. He represented all of us in our testimony, in our focal point and desired legacy for us to simply say our God is the Lord and with him nothing is impossible. We're going to spend some time in prayer tonight. And who knows, maybe we'll even get out early tonight. It'll be like a little New Year's gift. Um, we're going to get into groups. That, that is the primary reason why I wanted you all to move forward so that you'd already kind of be pre-grouped. And there's kind of four going back that way, and there's four going over this way. And we're going to pray 
two prayers. First, we're going to pray Elijah's name, and then we're going to pray Elijah's prayer. And this isn't anything weird and cultic. You're not just going to sit around chanting Elijah. Uh, but first, we're going to spend some time praying, my God is the Lord. And we're just going to glorify the Lord. We're just going to pray uh, his attributes, put him in proper perspective. You know, I think that if we just realized what it means that our God is the Lord, it would change so much of how we view our existence. If you know that our God, my personal God, is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the redeemer of humanity, nothing beyond his capacity. That'll be our first prayer. And then we're going to pray Elijah's prayer. And it's a prayer for the impossible. The prayer for that which only God can accomplish. It takes divine intervention for rain to be shut off for three and a half years. And Elijah put that on the same plane as his prayer at the end of the drought that God would turn hearts back to him again. And so as we approach this new year, uh, we're going to pray for the impossible for our nation, for our community, for our friends and family, that the Lord would be their God and that he would turn their hearts back again. So I'll go ahead and, uh, close this portion in a word of prayer and then we'll get together and we'll we'll pray in groups most gracious heavenly father i thank you lord for this time that we've had together and i ask lord that your words would resonate in our heart lord as we consider the implications of the simple statement that elijah was a man just like us and what that means to us in light of all that we can observe that you did through his simple life. That it's not mythology. That you accomplished all of that in your divine history. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our prayer. That as we set out into 2012 that we would have as our proper perspective that our Lord is God and that you would do amazing works in our time. I praise you for it, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.